0: Well, it was, uh, I think last week or recently, uh, I had one of those days, and some of you can probably relate to what I'm about to describe. It's kind of dark in the room, I had plenty of sleep, Um, but as you know, dark, I was trying not to wake Jackie up, and uh, I'm getting up, and I'm getting around the bed, trying to be, again, really, really quiet, I don't want to turn on the lights, you know, because that would wake her up, so I'm trying to be nice, and I get just to the corner of the bed, And I catch my little toe. You know what I'm saying? Have you felt like that? Never had that little, that really painful. It's a small little toe, but man, that really hurts. So I'm like, okay, I kind of make my way to the bathroom, get that thing done. I'm thinking, I'm barely awake. I want to go get some coffee going. And this all happened on the same day, which is weird. And uh, we used to have one of those coffee makers that was kind of this fancy thing, but sometimes it would kind of freak out on you. And uh, so I, I, you know, I'm still kind of tired. I get it all, everything kind of set up and I go to take a shower and and I let the coffee maker go. And then I get out of the shower and I come and I'm so excited to have that cup of coffee and something had happened on the mechanism. Something in the filtering thing kind of got gummed up, clogged up. So when I go to the kitchen, there's coffee and grounds and water everywhere. And uh, But the good thing is, all of our cabinetry is all white, so that's good. So all of that, of course, stains on everything. It was one of, one of those days where, and it just felt like the whole day, it was just like off kilter. Have you ever had one of those days like that where you're almost afraid what's going to happen next? Like whatever you touch just seems like you just lose, you lose your coordination, you lose your ability to kind of like navigate. Something is going wrong. Maybe it's, you know, you got up for work early and you hop in the car and you're already late and you realize that your car is on empty. You ever had that moment? That's a fun situation. And it seems like then everybody's in slow motion. You can't, you know what I'm saying? Or, or maybe you're like me and uh, you're getting ready to do taxes this year and uh, you realize you owe taxes. I owe taxes this year. I, I, that was unexpected. Some of those things can kind of come at you and you're, you're not ready for it. Many of you probably have the same, same experience. And sometimes how we handle those unexpected things that come at us really kind of says a lot doesn't it when things kind of come our way that we're not expecting we have some choices to make our attitude all of the how we decide to respond that all makes a big difference and sometimes for some of us when the unexpected happens our reaction isn't necessarily to worship and praise God you know what I mean I wish it were, for especially many of us who follow Jesus, I wish that was our first response. But often we're questioning, we say, why God, why me? You know, you go through all these questions. But, but what if we could just pause for a second and take a different, a different approach? What if when something unexpected happens, we say instead, when the unexpected comes our way, Jesus may be drawing you and I toward him? when something unexpected happens, I'm not talking about a silly coffee maker going crazy, but when we have these things come our way and something's unexpected, maybe, maybe, in fact, God is wanting to speak to us. Maybe Jesus is drawing us to him. Now, we've been in this series for a couple weekends now called Ready or Not, and it's really been all about change and how we react to things beyond our control. And in this series, we've covered a number of things, but we started with the idea that we are never more teachable than when we are in the midst of a transition or a change. We are never more teachable than we are in, when we're right in the midst of a transition or a change. And some of you, I know, are in that season right now. You're going through that transition. You're going through a season of change. And you may have chose it. Okay, that's one side of it. But you may have also not chose it. And I said, I think in week one, that those are the hardest ones for me is the changes that I didn't choose and those things that I didn't see coming. Those can be very difficult to navigate. So we've been talking about all of that in this series. So week one, we talked about when things happen, when change happens to remain teachable, that we could ask the question over and over again, God, what are you trying to teach me? You know, this relationship didn't work out, this job didn't work out, I've got to move, I've got, to, I've got this relationship starting. God, what are you trying to teach me in this season of change? In week two, which was last week, we talked about a hidden landmine that often we don't see when we're going through a midst of a transition or a change, and that's temptation. You see, our enemy loves to, to hit us when we're knocked off balance. And sometimes with change and transition, we're just naturally knocked off balance. And when we're in that vulnerable spot, sometimes that's when the enemy likes to attack us to get us down roads we never intended to go. And so we talked about the remedy for some of that is we're not only living, believing, but, but basking in the reality that God is with us and he will never leave us. That promise is something you and I can hold to, we can doggedly hold on to that. Because he promises cover to cover, I will be with you. I'm never going to forsake you. In fact, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we talked about that at least last week. Today we're going to talk all about the idea of transformation. That what, what if we leaned in and allowed God to transform us during times of change. So let's pray and uh, get started. Father, we come before you. We thank you for all that you've done for us, your love and your faithfulness. It's new every morning. And Lord, each of us are here. We all had different kind of weeks, ups and downs, good and bad. And Lord, many of us are going through a season of change and transition. So Father, I ask and and we all ask that you would help us to navigate that change and and that you'd help us to, to maybe see what you're trying to teach us in these changes, and Lord, that we would be willing to be transformed in these seasons. So Father, speak to our hearts, speak to our, our, our lives, and Lord, help us to not, not, uh, not be silent in what you're trying to teach us. May we be open to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in, in modern culture, I recognize that the concept of religion is not so easy to talk about. Religion tends to polarize people. And there are all kinds of religion out there, all kinds. And, and it's true. I mean, our gathering here would fall in the category of religious stuff, right? It would. I mean, I, I realize that if you're following Jesus, hey, we're, we're going to say it's not about, you know, religion. It's about a relationship. I get that. We know that internally. We know it's about Jesus, not about some kind of external religion thing. But what we're doing is in the category of religion. And in many ways, religion, I think, has gotten a really bad rap. And I think there are some good things about what, what, what is religion. I mean, religion has things like discipline and, you know, being part of something greater than yourself. So there's some good components to religion if you, if you really look at it. But a lot of the negative about religion is, is probably something we don't want to get into, where, where we look at ritual and dogma. And external things to somehow tell the world, you know, that that we have this religion, the external things are not so helpful because we can do those things, but our heart may be far from God. We can do this external stuff, but our hearts are far from God. And, And really, Jesus himself had kind of a difficulty with religion, especially religious leaders. In fact, most of his conflicts that you see in the New Testament are religious leaders. And, and his beef isn't religion per se, it's what religion can, can fool you into. That by doing these external things and, 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 and getting all your, your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, that somehow God's gonna be more happy with you than your person that you're living next to. But Jesus himself said this over and over again, that if you're saying you're gonna love God, you're gonna, you're gonna love other people. And so Jesus kind of got to the heart of what it really meant to love God. So if religion is really going to have some power, it's going to be you loving someone. Look at what one of his early, uh, early disciples said in one of his letters in James one twenty seven. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. One more time. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a lot we could unpack there. I mean, keeping oneself unstained from the world, that's, that's hard in our culture, we're constantly bombarded with stuff that we should ought not do, but it's legal, so maybe I'll do it. We're constantly bombarded with lots of things that can lead us astray. So it's hard to do what, what James is talking about, but the idea of religion actually being more than just these external things or, or these, these sets of dogmas and beliefs, it actually has to come out in action, that we would actually love someone else, put someone else's needs above our own. Now we're getting at the heart of what true religion is all about. And Jesus demonstrated, taught that, and he calls us all to it. Because here's the deal. Religion is really this one thing. It's, it's, it's our effort, it's human effort to reach out to God. That's really the heart of what religion is. We, we do these things and we have these right beliefs and we, and we, you know, some religions, you gotta set up a shrine and you gotta do certain things. And then, then maybe God might give you a glance Maybe God might appease his wrath on you. He might just bless you. This is what religion does. Religion is just trying, us trying to scramble and get our hands up there to try to reach God. Christianity is God's effort to reach us. Literally, that is Christmas. Literally, that's why we celebrate in December the Advent, God coming to us, the Advent, that God's effort is toward us. He makes the first move, always does. That's Christianity. Religion is human effort to reach out to God. Christianity is God's effort to reach out to us. It is impossible for religion to save us. Impossible. Being part of God's kingdom is this free gift of God's grace offered through what Jesus did. And here's the kicker here listen to this carefully. When we talk about God's free gift of grace and everything that happened on that cross so long ago, this free gift of grace, here's the deal it requires nothing yet everything at the same time it's god's free gift no strings attached it requires nothing yet everything because our life is now found in christ and we're following his way and so it's it's kind of this too, it's kind of this 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 odd idea of being free and yet costing everything Here's the reality. Religion says do, Christianity says done. And we say this often in our worship gatherings, that, hey, if you've never decided to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you've never decided to be part of his king, to be part of the way, do you know that early Christians never called each other Christians? They just said, hey, are you a follower of the way? And, And if they met someone on the street, they'd try to keep it discreet because it was kind of illegal at that point, but they'd say, are you a follower of the way? And some traditions say they'd even draw a little fish, half of a fish, and the other person would draw the other half. Because again, they were keeping it on the lowdown, but they would say, "Are you a follower of the way?" And what they mean is the way of Jesus. So the way he walked, are you a follower of that way? If you've never done that today, you can do that. You can begin following his way and be part of the Jesus team. Now speaking of change, there is no character that's probably he's super understated in Scripture. People don't really talk about this guy we're gonna talk about today. But he has a transformation, a radical transformation that happens right before our eyes. If you have a Bible or a device, a smartphone, find John chapter three. I realize that we're gonna to get to a very famous statement in John three. Hang on to that. But we gotta got roll the tape back and learn about this guy who has this incredible transformation in his life. Incredible. Many of us just read right past this and kind of forget this guy. But he has a radical transformation that I want to lean into today. So John chapter 3, let's just get started in the narrative. Just the first few verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, I love Jesus. Truly, truly, I I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. All right, first of all, mind blown, because at least it's not recorded for us, but what happened to the small talk? What happened to the banter? You know, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? Uh, I heard you're you're pretty good carpenter. Uh, you got you built anything here? Yeah, Nicodemus. Hey, I heard you were you know one of those. Uh, you're you're pretty high up in the, the religious council. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I just got promoted. You know, I got a new camel. Uh, it's been pretty good. I got a new condo in Jerusalem. You know what I mean? Just the the banter, the small talk. We all know what that is, right? Because. Nicodemus is just trying to figure out who this guy Jesus is. It's just, he, he makes the effort, okay? He, he's heard about this guy. Maybe he's on social media and this guy is like healing people. And he's like, that seems pretty cool. I want to go check this guy out. Heard a good, you know, you got a good buzz in town and I want to kind of find out who you are, Jesus. Right? So naturally you'd expect some banter, some first, you know, first conversations with him, you know, and uh, Jesus launches into this whole idea of being born again. Now, I, I, I just, I can imagine Nicodemus trying to find categories for this because this is probably not the conversation he was hoping to have. He's probably trying to find out, you know, where did Jesus go to school? You know, where'd you go to middle school and high school? Where was your mascot? You know, who'd you study under? You know, what's your favorite book? What bands are you into? doesn't get into any of that. Jesus goes right to you know Nicodemus yeah if you want to be part of this kingdom of god thing you got to be born again and Nicodemus is confused now we're told here that Nicodemus is a pharisee now that is a category in the bible and even in christian world that has gotten a lot of bad rap if you're a pharisee you're a bad guy You know what I'm saying? If you've been around church long enough, you might have heard people just rip on these, oh, these Pharisees, they're the one that got Jesus killed. The Pharisees were just one of four that we know, different kind of tribes in ancient Israel that were kind of religious groupings. We had what you probably heard of the Sadducees. Those were kind of the, the Sadducees were the folks that kind of ran the temple. They were like the higher ups, you know, they had the nice collars you know, they had the, you know, they, they drive up in the Mercedes Benz. They were the temple guys. They were pretty high up. Not a lot of connection with the average Joe, right? The Pharisees, on the other hand, would have been more like uh, the church pastors in the local communities. They were, they were ones that kind of helped with the synagogue area, because not everything could, you couldn't have a temple everywhere. So you had these synagogues, and, and so these were kind of small congregations, kind of like the churches of today, where you'd have the Pharisees kind of help and run the deal. They were kind of like the the pastors on the ground and there were only two categories there were all the the Aseans, which is another kind of eclectic group that was in that time and then they they had some writings and we know a little bit about them and then there were the zealots the zealots were more like terrorists and there were some pockets of zealots in fact a couple of Jesus' disciples were called zealots so there was a number of them but it seems like Pharisees in particular have gotten the bad rap the, the deal is they, were, they thought the law was important. I mean, yeah, for all that you, you could say maybe against them, they were trying to do the law. They were trying to honor God. They really were. They were the people on the ground. They weren't stuck at the temple saying, hey, everybody come up here. They were, they were on the ground. They were trying to help people understand the law. Many of them were lawyers because that's almost what you had to be. I mean, there's some 600 laws in the Old Testament trying to help people navigate that was part of their job. Seems like a noble thing. The problem with that in the Pharisee group, at the heart of it is, was a heart issue. That many of them were kind of used to the external things of religion, but their heart had started to be hardened, and they weren't really doing these things because they loved God, it was just part of what you did. And so they, they had this disconnect of their heart and their mind that was going on. But we're told that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so he understands this crowd. He understands what's going on, and he hears about Jesus. Jesus is this up-and-coming rabbi, this radical that's doing stuff not in religious places. And so it's starting to get some, stirring up some dust. And so Nicodemus wants to know, when does he come Je- to see Jesus? At night. Now, have you thought about that a little bit? Comes to see him at night. Remember, this, this Nicodemus guy, his job is, he's a religious lawyer, he's high up. His job might be threatened if he comes see Jesus and people see him, Right? So this first encounter with him, it's in the middle of the night or whatever's in the night, under cover of darkness, he's like, Jesus, tell me about yourself. What's going on? I'd love to hear your pedigree. You're doing great things. God must be with you. I'm, I'm curious. Nicodemus was legitimately curious. And Jesus, uh, he acknowledges this curiosity by throwing Nicodemus into this crazy conversation about being born again, and it continues after this. We just read through verse 5, but if you keep reading, Jesus talks about the mystery, and you know, you, you see the effects of the wind, but you don't know, where you can't really see the wind, and so he starts having this very mysterious talk, and I can just see Nicodemus just trying to hold on, because remember, what is Nicodemus' job? He knows this thing, right? He knows the Torah. He knows the Hebrew writings. He knows those holy scriptures. Nicodemus is totally confused. And then in verse 13, maybe Jesus throws him a bone. Because remember, these Old Testament stories, you got Moses and Abraham and Joseph, those are like the superstars. And so Nicodemus is like, I, I'm not following. But then in, in verse 13, if you have your, your device or your device or your Bible open, verse 13, here's where Jesus starts to kind of wind it down a little bit. And he's looking at Nicodemus, and he says, you know what, Nick? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. What? The Son of Man. Now he's using an old, old school reference to the Messiah, way back from the days of Daniel. So now, now Nicodemus would have remembered that. He would have remembered son of man. That would have been something that Nicodemus would have heard before. Son of man, okay, that's important. Jesus calls himself the son of man, but then what happens? And then he tells the Old Testament story that I know Nicodemus knows. Because he's talking about Moses. Moses is one of those guys. You know Moses. And so what he says in, 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 verse, uh, in, in verse 14, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, okay, pause. This story that Nicodemus is referring to, if you don't know the Old Testament scriptures, and that's okay if you're new to this, this is a, a difficult uh, reference. What, what, what Moses is doing So there was this ancient people of Israel, which is what most of the Old Testament part of the Bible is about. Really, it's about their covenant. And then we get to the New Testament, and that's really our covenant. But in the Old Testament part, there was some pretty major things that were happening with one, really one family line that became a a nation. We call them the Hebrew people or the Jewish people. Well, um, there was all kinds. I can't cover it all. It's too much to unpack. But at one point, they were slaves in Egypt, and like a couple million of them, And God does this miracle. He brings this guy named Moses, who's a leader, a reluctant leader, by the way, brings in Moses. Moses kind of, there's a number of events that happen, right? I'm I'm paraphrasing. They get the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're in the wilderness. They're heading toward what we call the promised land. Well, the people do well, and then they do not so well. They do well, and they do not so well. And at one point, and this is where this story comes into play, Moses and the serpent stuff, they were not having a good day. And they were grumbling against the Lord. And the Lord sent poisonous snakes and many people died. This is a hard story, okay? Here's why it's hard for me. I hate snakes. I do. I hate them. When I see them, I scream like a little girl. I don't like snakes. They scare me. They have teeth. Some of them like strangle you. I don't, I don't like either of those scenarios. And they're sneaky. You know what I'm saying? This story bothers me. So... I know Nicodemus knows this story. But here, I mean, we could, we could talk a lot about that story and unpack that. It's confusing. It's like, what's going on? There's judgment going on. The long and short of it is, in the Old Testament, the, the story was, Moses was told, these people are dying from snake bite wounds. Awful. So what you want to do is you want to make a snake-like statue. I, I, I can't really describe it because I can't really get it in my head. But a statue with a snake... And if the and you're supposed to hoist it up, and if the people get bit and they look at the this thing up here, this banner, the snake, then they will be healed. They won't die. Okay. So long and short, right? The idea is lift it up. People look and they're saved. Right? They're 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 not going to die. Jesus uses that reference to talk about himself being lifted up. And if you look to him. You will be saved. So Jesus is doing some cool stuff. We understand the metaphor, okay? I'm not sure if Nicodemus understands the metaphor. And so I picture Jesus stopping right here, looking at Nicodemus, looking in his eyes, and smiling. And Jesus gives him a statement that is the most famous statement in the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you need to start here. If you've been reading the Bible all your life, you need to return here. This is ground zero. This is not elementary school. This is ground zero where we live every single day. This verse is the gospel in 26 words. It's been called the hope diamond of the Bible. And I see Jesus stopping for a second, looking in Nicodemus' eyes. And he gives this, and I know you know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Come on, we can do better than that. You know this verse. Weird crazy guys at big stadiums have this thing lifted up on their their little posters, 316. The numbers of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved and he gave. We believe and we receive. Folks, that's the gospel right there. If you forget everything else we've talked about, even in this series, that's the gospel right there. That's where we live. That's the heart, that's ground zero for every follower, whether you're brand new or you're coming after it after 40 years or more. That is ground zero. You know, change has been our theme the last several weeks, and this interaction here in Scripture with Nicodemus is like the epitome of me of change. For me, it's the epitome of change, and it happens kind of right under our radar. We kind of read right over this, but this isn't the only time in Scripture that we meet Nicodemus. This is just the first time we meet him, and what do we meet? He comes to Jesus, what, at night? He asks some questions. Jesus and him have a crazy conversation. Jesus gives him the gospel. The next time we meet him is going to be a different story. You see, Nicodemus has a moment here that will change the rest of his life. It will affect his career. It's going to affect every relationship he has. And likely, he's going to lose his job. This was a radical change. See, The Pharisees, like Nicodemus, they were very pious. They had all the laws. They were law-abiding. But many of them were far from God here. They were disconnected in their hearts. Their hearts and their motives were way off. I'm glad we never struggle with that today. Our hearts and our motives are never, never far off. We believe as long as we're a good enough person, God owes us heaven. Deep down, we believe, deeper than we want to, that our behavior is what determines heaven, what determines being part of the kingdom. We believe and we say this, I'm good enough, I'm not as bad as this person, fill in the blank. I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. That's what we say. That's what Nicodemus Was saying. But this is a tough transition for humanity to make. That no matter how much good we do, we're never going to make it. We're never going to measure up. We're never going to do enough good stuff to weigh out the balance. This idea that if I'm just a good person, I'm going to go to heaven is so pervasive, but it's so wrong. And it took a miracle a radical miracle to break this idea, that it takes Jesus. Religion will never do it for you. You need to be transformed by Jesus. And it's a journey. It's a long process. Jesus once told a a story in Luke 18 about two people that go to the temple to pray. And back, Back in the day, that's where spiritual stuff happened you know, largely was at the temple. That's where kind of the big spiritual stuff happens. So these two guys go to the temple and one of the guys is a very religious guy and the other guy is a, he calls himself a sinner. He, maybe he's still hung over and they both go to the temple and the religious guy is just talking about how great he is before God, kind of saying, God... Man, aren't we on a good team? Aren't you lucky to have me on your team? Look at all this stuff I've done. I give to the poor. I fast like twice a week, even though actually the losses I only not have to do it once. But anyway, I, I go overboard because that's who I am. You know, my biggest, my biggest you know, uh, downfall, Lord, is that I just work too hard, you know? Uh, but but uh, he's praying, right? And he's, he's really talking about how great he is. And then the other guy, if you know the story, he knows he's a sinner and he's approaching with trembling. And he doesn't even want to look up. See, I'm a sinner. God have mercy on my soul. And I bet you can guess who Jesus sided with. See, religious stuff runs deep. We think if we're just good enough, we can do it. Only Jesus can save us from our sins and only he can transform us. If we were to learn from Nicholas's life, Nic- Nicodemus's life, we're learn from good old Nick here. I call him Nick because we're on a first name basis. I don't know. I call him Nick. Look, the first thing is, is he approached Jesus. Now, see, God did everything. He came. That's what Christmas is about. God did everything, pulled out all the stops. Now he's asking, come fight, come, come, come talk to me, approach me. Nicodemus approached Jesus. And maybe that's your next step today. You've never approached Jesus. You never said, okay, I, I want to hear about this. Nicodemus approached Jesus. True curiosity, tell me about who you are. He approached Jesus. Do you know the next time we meet Nicodemus? If you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter seven if you're quick. The next time we meet Nicodemus, he's not inquiring about Jesus under cover of darkness. He's with his peers, his Pharisee group, and they're talking together. And they're trying to figure out what to do with this Jesus rabble-rouser. And Nicodemus, in that group, he's like, I met the guy, and I like him. In fact, I think he's, he is who he says he is. He defends Jesus in his peer group, which probably meant, and you see it in the scripture if you read it, they start attacking Nicodemus. What, are you going to be one of his now? You know, follow that rabble rouser. He didn't even have pedigree. We don't even know where he went to school. Nicodemus stands up for Jesus in that moment and probably that sparked the end of his career. We're not really sure. We don't get all the details. But we see Nicodemus next. He not only approached Jesus, but then very next thing, we meet him in in John chapter seven. He's standing up for Jesus now. And he boldly spoke for Jesus. That's number two. He boldly spoke. You see, Once again, I think the only one who can transform us is Jesus. The only one. You draw closer to Jesus and you can't help but be transformed because things are just going to be altered for you. You submit your life to Jesus. You surrender to him. He's going to work on you doing stuff, stuff you never thought was possible. You're going to love people you never thought you would ever like. That's what Jesus does. He transforms you. He transformed Nicodemus right underneath our noses. We never even talk about Nicodemus in church circles very often. It's like right under the radar, we see this major story of this guy, just this Nicodemus guy who's interested in Jesus and has transformed his life so much so that he can never be the same. Only Jesus can bring that transformation. He he meets him at night in John 3. Finds out about him. John 7, he's standing up for Jesus amongst his peers. Now he's publicly said, I'm on the Jesus team. That's, that's anathema. That's danger. Now, you think we're done with Nicodemus? So, we meet him again. If you were questioning his transformation, let me just kind of end that for you. In John chapter 19, we meet him once again. Now, this is after Jesus has been killed in a brutal death. Most of Jesus' closest friends have abandoned him. People have scattered. You know, probably because they thought they were next, right? They all scattered. They've all been seen with Jesus. So who would want to publicly show their face at this crucifixion with all these Roman soldiers around taking notes? Oh, that guy was with Jesus. Jesus. We're going to to look him up. Nicodemus. We see him again. And he shows up at the cross. And he basically gives Jesus a royal burial. In a very public place, Nicodemus says, I'm on this team. He must have been still confused. I would have been still confused. But he gives Jesus a burial. He publicly identified with Jesus right there in front of the nation, in front of the Roman soldiers, in front of everybody there. I'm on the Jesus team because Nicodemus chose Jesus. He chose Jesus. Knowing that it was probably going to cost him. By the way, spoiler alert, if you decide to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. It will. It'll cost you friendships maybe. It'll cost you resources. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you your heart in some cases, because you're gonna love people who won't love you back. And that's because you're now following the way of Jesus. And Jesus loved a lot of people who never loved him back. It's gonna cost us. Knowing that, Nicodemus said, I publicly choose Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty radical, folks. I realize this story like, goes right underneath the radar. We never talk about him, but he was transformed by Jesus. And here's why. Why would, why would, we, why would we be willing to let this Jesus thing cost us? Why would we be willing to be, you know, serve other people who don't serve us back? Why would we be willing to give money to what God wants to do? Why would we do all these things? Because of this one reason. Because Jesus is the only road to true transformation. He is the only road to transformation. If you want to be transformed, he's the only way. And it's going to be a journey for us. It's going to take time. We're going to mess up. It's a journey. We're following the way of Jesus, and it will cost us. You see, you may be in a season of change and transition right now. I realize that. But we are never more teachable than when we are in a, a time of change and transition. We are never more teachable. So, so remain teachable and ask the question over and over, God, what are you teaching me through this? What are you trying to bring me to? Are you trying to draw, draw me to you? Are you trying to, to reach out to me and, and hold on? Jesus is the only road to transformation. God, what are you teaching us? And if I, could, if I can encourage you to do anything, it's to choose Jesus. Ultimately, that's what Nicodemus did. He did. He chose Jesus. I don't know what your next step is today, but today could be the day you decide you want to be on the Jesus team. You want to start following the way of Jesus. You want to be his disciple. You want to be his learner. If you've never decided that, you can do that today. I'll be right over here. We can pray together, talk about what that looks like. That may be your next step. It might be you're ready to be baptized in obedience to Christ. We had a great baptism session here last weekend, about six or seven uh, folks were in there wanting to ask about it and learn about it. Uh, And we're actually going to have a baptism next weekend. So I encourage you guys to be part of that. But that may be your next step. You're ready to go all in. That's kind of what that picture is anyway, all in. Your next step might be to join a ministry team. And that's where you can really develop friendships. Where it might be to join a small group. We've got them out there. Because that's where a lot of discipleship happens is when you're just working with somebody, walking through life with somebody. That's huge. That may be your next step. And it might be today's the day you start giving to our church family. You want to see ministry happen? That requires resources. So that may be your next step. I don't know what it is today. But let's pray together over what those next steps might be. Father, we come before you. We thank you that you love us more than we possibly could imagine, even though we're more sinful than we want to realize. Thank you, Lord, that you teach us so much. If we're willing to to listen through times of change and transition, Father, help us to ask you over and over, what are you trying to teach me? And Father, help each of us in this room to every day wake up and choose to follow your son Jesus, to follow his way, regardless of the change or transition that we're in. And Lord, may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.